This evening we're going to be looking at a passage from Acts chapter 9. So I'd invite you to turn with me at this time to Acts chapter 9. We have been looking at a series over our evening services, answering questions that every Christian should know. And the last several weeks we looked at the believer's assurance, we looked at uh, the believer's eternal security, and tonight we look at whether or not we can know the will of God. One of the things that many Christians struggle with is knowing what God's will is for their lives, how to discern what is the will of God. Can we know the will of God? So this is the topic that we'll be looking at here this evening as we look at Acts chapter 9 in a sermon that I've titled, very simply, Knowing the Will of God. <clears throat> as I mentioned, many people struggle, many Christians struggle, regardless of how long they've been saved, to know what God's will is for them. We may not always know what God's will is for us, but we know that we want to be in the center of God's will. And before we answer the question, how can I know the will of God, I want to point out several myths about the will of God. God's will is not a road map. Uh, many people think that God's will is some type of road map that he will reveal to us with every aspect of our lives mapped out. I, for one, am thankful that it's not this way. I'm thankful that he hasn't just opened up the map before us and shown us in, shown us in detail how everything is going to play out. Because, honestly, when you think about it, that would make life incredibly boring. If you knew exactly what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, how it was all going to unfold, there would leave no suspense, no drama, and everything. It would give you no reason to come before God and seek his guidance if you had all the information ahead of time. God is not going to tell us this. He's not going to reveal it this way. He's not going to open the map and say, five years from now, you're going to be doing this. Five years from, five years from now, you're going to be here. Ten years from now, you're going to be doing something else. God's will is not a roadmap. It is a relationship. So don't fall for this idea that God is going to map out your entire life for you to know. Think of how God led the children of Israel through the wilderness. They certainly did not have a roadmap. All they could do was look to God in the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. And all they did was look to him and they followed as he led. Where the cloud stopped, they stopped. Where it rested, they rested. As soon as it raised and they moved, they moved. But they let that be their guide. It wasn't all unleashed to them and told, okay, here's where we're going to start. Here's where we're going to end. Here's the route that we're going to take. So if you want, you can venture ahead on your own. We'll meet you there once we all get there. No, it's I'm going to lead in my own way. God's word and God's will is not a roadmap. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know ahead of time where they were going to stop. They just followed as God led them. All they knew for the nation of Israel in the wilderness was that God's presence was there with them. And that should be our only concern as we seek ourselves to discern what the will of God is for our lives. But God's will is not a roadmap. God's will is also not miserable. God's will is not miserable. For some people, uh, they, they, for some reason, have come to believe that God is some cosmic killjoy up in heaven and just doing everything to make our lives miserable. Any type of fun that comes up, he is quick to pull the rug out right from underneath us and say, no, you're having too much fun. That is not the way God is. He doesn't just want to make your life miserable. And this is why some people are hesitant about yielding themselves completely over to God because they think that if they do, God is going to lead them and send them to a place that they don't want to go, that God is going to open a door that they don't want to go through. 
And this leads to, this leads to people being afraid to surrender themselves to God because they don't trust God to have the right plan for them. This is a myth. Don't buy into it. Then there's another myth. There's what we refer to as the missionary myth, which suggests that God's will is only for a certain group of people. God calls preachers, evangelists, missionaries, but God doesn't call ordinary, everyday Christians. This is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard, and I've read about this. People actually putting this pen to paper saying this is how the will of God works. Craziness. God has called the housewife as much as he has called the missionary on a foreign land. God has called the janitor as much as he has called the pastor. God has made a plan and a purpose for all. Therefore, be ready to report for duty wherever it is that God has called you to be. Then there is the miracle myth. The miracle myth suggests that there needs to be something dramatic in your life. There needs to be some sign in the heavens that this is where you need to be. That would be nice, right? Some of us want that. God, just give me a sign. Show me that this is where you want me to be. You know, if you can just write it in the sky, maybe have a plane just fly over with a banner behind it saying, this is where you need to be. That would just clear it up for me. That would settle all of it. And you're left waiting and waiting and waiting because God does not operate this way. Now, can he? Of course he can. The angel Gabriel, we think, must appear to us as he appeared to Zacharias, as he appeared to Mary and let them know what's going to happen. We think it has to be a dramatic event. There should be maybe an audible voice that we hear from heaven telling us what to do. You should have a vision of God, maybe as you're dreaming, that he's leading you to where you need to be. There should be some sign. Now, again, I'm not one to discount the miracle working of God, for he can, certainly does do such things. It's just that many people are looking for this and expecting God's will to only be revealed this way. And when it doesn't happen, they think, well, God must not have a plan for me. It's just many people don't realize that while there are occasions where God does do the incredible, the dramatic, there are many and more often occasions where God speaks, speaks to us in a still small voice. In 1 Kings chapter 19 and verses 11 and 12, we have the account of God speaking to the prophet Elijah. And notice what happened here. It says in verses 11 to 12 of 1 Kings chapter 19, it says, And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Many think that for God to speak to them, there needs to be this great wind. Or there needs to be an earthquake. Or there needs to be some incredible sign, some fireworks show in the heavens. Or else they're doubting the will of God. Many times God speaks through a still small voice. And if we're not careful to sit back and to listen, the voice of God will be drowned out by all the noise in our souls. Then there's the missed it myth. You missed it. I missed out on the will of God. I had a shot, there was a small window of opportunity, I didn't jump on it, and I missed it. Maybe at one point in your life you felt that God was calling you to be a missionary, 
maybe calling you to be a pastor, maybe calling you to be involved in some form of Christian service, and the opportunity was there, presenting itself right in your face, but you never acted on it. Maybe you fought it, maybe you questioned it, and the window came and passed, and despite what you might think, it's never too late to do what God has called you to do. God's will for your life is not contingent upon how old you are and what state you find yourself in life. God has a specific will for every stage of your life. Maybe you fought God's original plan for you when you were younger. That doesn't mean that there is not something else that God would have you to do today. Keep listening to God and don't fight him this time when he tells you to do something. And finally, there is the mystery myth, which suggests that God's will is a mystery. As if God has something he wants you to do, only he's not going to tell you what it is. How fun is that? He wants us to search it and to see if we can figure it out on our own. Now, this is pretty ridiculous when you really think about it. Imagine if I came to you and said, okay, here's the thing. I have some things that I'm going to need you to do for me. If you do them, you'll be very happy. Your life will be good. And I'll give you a reward. But if you don't do them, there are going to be consequences, and you will certainly not be happy, but you will, in fact, be most miserable. And you respond to me by saying, okay, all right, what do you need me to do? And I respond, and I tell you, figure it out on your own. Are you kidding me? You think God operates this way? Figure it out on your own? I've got something for you to do, and if you don't do it, you're going to be in trouble. There's going to be consequences. You're going to be miserable. Figure it out on your own. That is not the way God works. He doesn't leave it up to us to try and figure out his will. He actually wants us to know what his will is for us. Now, one of the best passages to help us understand the will of God, I believe, is found here in Acts chapter 9. Here we have the account of Saul or Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. And this is where Paul asked two very important questions as he was confronted by the Savior. Follow along in your Bibles as I read the first six verses here in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Right there at the end of that passage, the Lord gave Paul a wonderful promise to know what God's will was for his life. There are several principles for us to learn and as we understand what God's will is for our lives. And it starts by asking the same questions that Saul, Paul, whatever you want to call him, was asking Jesus this day on the road to Damascus. He asked him two questions. He asked, who art thou, Lord? And then he says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Two questions that we need to be asking ourselves. If we truly want to know God's will for our lives, these are the questions we need to be asking. So the first principle is that God promises to guide us. God promises to guide us. Look at verse 6 again. God promises to guide us. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? 
And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. God promises to guide us. Now, I know these words were spoken specifically to Paul, but let me offer several other verses to apply, that, that really apply specifically to every believer everywhere. Consider Ephesians 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10, a familiar verse to us. We're very more familiar with the first two verses preceding that. But verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That verse, Ephesians 2, 10, shows us that it is God's will for every single believer to do good works. It is God's will for every single believer to do good works. God has ordained, it says, that we should walk in them, that we should live lives that are demonstrating good works. In Psalm 37 and verse number 23, Psalm 37, verse number 23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. God is the one ordering our steps one by one. And in Psalm 32, verse 8, Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. God will guide us with his eye. When I was younger and I sat under my father's preaching, there were occasions, Lily, close your ears, where I was misbehaving in church. It wasn't rare for me to look up from the pew and to find that my dad was staring right at me as he was preaching. And when I say he was staring at me, looking at me, I mean he was giving me the death stare. It was, he didn't have to say anything. He was preaching as if nothing else was going on, but he was looking at me. I'm focusing on my daughter. I'll look somewhere else. He was looking at me. And I could just feel, you know, these darts coming right at me. And I could just, he was saying something. His mouth was preaching. His eyes were saying, we're going to talk after the service. There's going to be consequences after the service. And I knew that. You, he didn't have to say a word, but it was the eye. It was the look. It was the stare that he gave me. And every child has received this look from their parents. They know what this is. Every parent has given their child this look when their child has acted up. Your mouth may never open as a parent, and honestly, it doesn't even have to open at all because the look, it says everything that your words could ever say. And what that look says is if you don't straighten up, if you don't stop goofing off, you're going to get punished when we get home. And when you think about it, it's really incredible that we can have the same relationship with our Heavenly Father where He guides us, the Bible says, with His eye. What God is saying here in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 6, where again it says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. What God is, is saying here, and what he's telling every believer, is it shall be told thee what thou must do. God is going to show us what we need to do. Believers have a heavenly Father who is ordaining and ordering every step that we take. We have a Savior who is directing all of our steps, and we have the Holy Spirit within us to keep us focused on the path that we need to be walking. And as we speak about God's promise to guide us, there are several things that we must understand. First of all, we need to understand that there is God's prevailing will. God's prevailing will. 
No matter how we look at life, God is always in control and his plans are always going to be accomplished. No failure of our own, no attack of our enemy will ever thwart God's plans and purposes from being accomplished. Proverbs 19 verse 21 tells us, Proverbs 19 21 says, There are many devices in a man's heart, nevertheless the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. God's prevailing will. There are some things that God will just not allow to be thwarted. Second, we see God's permissive will. God's permissive will. For instance, we're told in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says that God is not willing that any should perish. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. We're also told in 1 Timothy 2.8, it says, I will, therefore, that men pray. Now, each of these verses, and I've just handpicked three verses, but each of these verses speak about the will of God in some capacity, but it's his permissive will, the things that he allows to happen or not to happen. In other words, things that not everyone is going to subscribe to. God's prevailing will is going to be accomplished no matter what. Whether we like it or not, whether we jump on board or not, God God's prevailing will will be accomplished. But God in his sovereignty has granted man free will that in certain areas we can choose to obey God or to disobey God. This is what we refer to as the permissive will of God. God wants everyone to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish. He wants everyone to be saved, but not everyone will be saved. God wants every believer to be actively avoiding sin. But that's not what we're doing, are we? God desires that believers be regularly praying. But again, we're not consistent to subscribe to what God desires for us. One of the best examples of God's permissive will is seen in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. It says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. God says, here's the plan. Here's the path to success. Do this and you'll be good. Do this and you'll live. He tells us what he expects from us, but his permissive will allows us the freedom to choose. So we see the prevailing will of God, the permissive will of God, and third, we see the personal will of God, God's personal will. God has something personal for each person. In fact, that is why Christ said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 30, he said, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Some of us are making that easy for him. You'll get that tomorrow. God has a plan for each of our lives, and that's why he's ordering our steps. He wants what is best for you, and he knows what path must be taken to make that a reality. We can sum up things this way. It is God's prevailing will that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord. The Bible tells us it will happen, and no effort of Satan, no even failure of our own will ever prevent God's prevailing will from ever being accomplished. It is God's permissive will that we all make right decisions. It won't always happen, but God has given us the freedom to make the decision ourselves. And I believe it was God's personal will for me that I marry my lovely wife, Ruthie, who is not here right now. 
I believe that God led me to her, and I believe that he led Ruthie to me, and she hit the jackpot when she married me. But probably the other way around. But the Bible very clearly teaches that God has a special plan, a specific purpose for each and every one of us. And think about how awesome that is. Think about how wonderful that is, that the God of the universe is so interested and so invested in your life, personally, just you alone, God has invested, God has an interest in. It's crazy to think about, and we need to understand that the God of the universe is so deeply interested and invested in our lives. That would be like the president interested in a single tiny ant living in the Sahara Desert. And God loves us and has a plan for us, that little tiny creature here in Latham, New York. Who are we that thou art mindful of us? You are not an afterthought to God. He wasn't surprised by your existence. He has a plan and a purpose for every, per for every person, and his promise to you is that he will guide you into his will. The second principle, second principle is that God's guidance is provisional. God's guidance is provisional. There are some provisions for us to know God's will. There are some provisions for us to know God's will. And let me mention a few. You must be willing. You must be willing. Look again at what it says in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 6. It says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Paul asks a very important question. He says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He was willing. He was willing. Have we truly asked this question to God? Are we truly ready to do what God has called us to do and to go where God has called us to go? You're not going to know the will of God if you're not willing to do what he's calling you to do. You can ask God this question every single day. Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what would you have me to do? But if you're not willing to follow as he leads, don't bother asking the question. Because he's not going to show you. He knows what's really thinking in your heart. So though your words may be saying the right thing, he's looking at your heart and thinking, you're not ready. You're certainly not willing. So don't expect him to lay it all out for you and say, go here and I'll show you what you need to do. Go there and I'll tell you what you need to say. If you're not willing... You need to be willing. Some people want to know the will of God just to see if it's something they want to get on board with. Lord, what would you have me to do? Just you know, give me a sneak peek and I'll let you know if it's meeting my expectations. Or sometimes we get something in our heads that we like, that we want to do. And we try to convince God that this is his will for us. Lord, what would you have me to do? And let me give you a hint. It's this. Just confirm it for me, because this is really what I'd like to do. So if there's a way you can kind of tweak things up on your end, that'd be fantastic for me here. Make it happen, could you? We do this at times, whether we acknowledge it or not, where we try to bend God's will to ours. And the ultimate reason is because we're unwilling to bend our will to God's. Lord, I want to do what you called me to do as long as it involves what I want to do. I heard about a vagabond who spent his entire life walking across the country from one end to the other. One day someone stopped him along this walk and he asked, he said, how do you decide which way you're going to go? You've got no roadmap, you've got no GPS. You know, how do you decide 
Where are you going to go? And the man replied, he said, it really doesn't make any difference to me. It really makes no difference. He said, I just go. I just go. And so the, the man asked him, he said, well, what do you do if you're walking down the road and you come to a fork in the road? How do you make a decision right, left, or right, left? How do you make the decision? The man said, well, that's simple. And I just pick up a stick and I throw it in the air and whichever path it lands on, that's the way I go. And he says, sometimes I have to throw the stick seven or eight times before it tells me where I need to go. Now, I know it's a rather silly illustration, but think of how often we do this with God. Lord, what will thou have me to do? Uh, Lord, I heard you, but really, what would, you, what would you have me to do? What would you really have me to do? And we keep asking, keep asking, because we're hoping that if we ask seven, eight, nine, ten times, that maybe he'll change it. You know, all right, fine, you asked me enough, let's do it your way. That's what we think, that we're going to somehow, you know, with our importunity, maybe bend God and maybe force him to change what his will is for us. We scratch and claw, hoping that we can force a door open that God has closed. We do this because many times we want to make God's will our will because we feel so strongly about something when we should be willing to surrender to God's leading. He may be closing a door and we may have just wanted this door to be open and have been fighting it and not willing to let that door stay closed and we're putting our shoulder up against it, hoping to get it shut. The, the, the garage door at the parsonage, it does this every once in a while, it sticks. And there are times when we're getting into the garage and sometimes Lily's ahead of us and I said, Lily, just open the door already. You know, we're all waiting behind you, go. Said, Daddy, I can't do it. And sometimes you really have to, you know, put some muscle into it and throw your shoulder in to get it open. Sometimes we try to do that with the will of God. God is saying no and we're saying, Lord, I'd like to go there and the door is shut and can I force it open by throwing a little shoulder into it? Can I force the will of God when... He's saying no. God shows us where we need to go, but we need to be willing to surrender to his leading. We need to do what he's doing. But when it doesn't line up with what we're thinking and what we were hoping, what we think we can do is just kind of throw the stick up in the air again and hope that it lands where we want it to be. We may say that we're willing to follow as the Lord leads, but do we truly mean that? If we really want to know the will of God, we must be willing to give up everything that we think is right, everything that we were feeling was the right thing, and follow as God leads. We must be willing. We also must follow God in meekness. We must follow God in meekness. Jump down to verse number 8 here in Acts chapter 9. We must follow God in meekness. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. This once proud man needed to have someone hold his hand to lead him to where he needed to go. In Psalm 25 and verse number 9, we're told it says, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. To be meek is to be teachable. Some of us are so stubborn. And that is keeping us from knowing God's will for our lives. We're not willing to be flexible. We determine in our mind that God's will must be for our lives this. And we're not going to budge until God shows us that this is indeed part of his plan. We need to be willing as well as teachable. When a cowboy breaks a wild horse, they don't cripple the horse. They want it to keep all of its fire, all of that passion, all of that strength, all of that energy. They just want to be able to throw a saddle on it 
and a bridle on it. God may be trying to put that saddle and bridle on you, but you've been fighting him every step of the way. You may be passionate. You may be full of energy about doing something, about going somewhere, about being something for the Lord, serving him in some capacity, but God may be trying to redirect that passion, that energy, that fire into something else, and you are just putting your foot in the ground saying, no, I'm doing it this way. Have you come to the place where you've sincerely asked the Lord, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Remove your preconceived notions and everything you want God to say and just leave it up to him. Be teachable as you follow God in meekness. We must also be open to God's leading. We must be open to God's leading. Jump back to verse number 6 here in Acts chapter 9. We must be open to God's leading. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Paul asked, Lord, what, what wilt thou have me to do? He was telling God he was open to do whatever it is that God is calling him to do. What is it? I'll do whatever it is. Sometimes the way we approach God is by saying, Lord, this is what I'd like to do. Make it happen. Make sure that your desires line up with what God is calling you to do. Sometimes we can confuse the two because we want to do, what we want to do is noble. And we feel would actually be very much honoring to God. It would be serving Him in some capacity. And we've convinced ourselves that this is obviously the way that it, is, that we, way that it should be because this is clearly a way that is going to be beneficial to God. But that may not be what God is calling you to do and where God is calling you to be. God may be speaking to you in that still small voice, but your soul is so noisy because of all the ideas that you filled with in your head that you can't hear when God is speaking to you and actually redirecting you to be somewhere else. We need to come before God and sincerely leave it all up to Him when we ask Him this question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Many times our communication with God is one-sided where we're doing all the talking and we're doing no listening. I'll never discourage a person from praying, but often our prayers are more us saying, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking, instead of speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We need to be open to God's leading. We also have to yield to God's leading. Yield to God's leading. It's not enough to hear the will of God, to know the will of God, but we must be ready to do it. Notice what we see in verses 8 through 11, Acts chapter 9, verses 8 through 11, and then I'll jump down to verse number 17. Acts chapter 9, verses 8 through 11, it says, And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And jump down to verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. We have to yield to God's leading. In these verses, we see Paul 
Saul, whoever you want to call him at this point, we see him yield to the instructions from Christ as they were delivered to him through a faithful man named Ananias. If you're not willing to yield to God's leading, why should God reveal his will for your life? When we're willing, when we're meek, when we're open, and when we're yielding to God's leading, that is when we can expect God to reveal his will to us. Now, our human logic tells us that we need to know the full plan before we can fully commit to what God has for us. But what God is telling us is to trust in him before he reveals what the plans are for us. This may not be the normal practice in any other area of life. But with God, he has never given us a reason not to trust in him. So let's not start doubting him now. In almost any other area of life, it's, Show me the reasoning. Show me what the outcome is. Then I'll tell you if I agree with it. Then you t I'll tell you if I can get on board with it. Otherwise, you're getting no commitment from me. And God is saying, trust me that I'll show you and lead you to where you need to be. The third principle is that God's guidance is practical. God's guidance is practical. In some instances, we see God operate through miracles. That was certainly with the conversion of Paul. There was a bright light, the Bible says, that was shown from heaven. Paul is just thrown to the ground. That may not be the normal means of God revealing things to us, but don't discount that. Sometimes people need that. Sometimes he gets the two-by-four to the back of the head. I've got it to the front of the head many times. But we're also, in many instances, guided by his word. And in Paul's conversion, Christ also spoke directly to him. Look, at back, look back at verse number five. It says, And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Saul had previously heard the word of God through the preaching of Stephen. And now Christ himself is speaking to him. Also, don't forget that Saul was a Pharisee who had committed himself to the studying of the word of God. All of this knowledge was now coming together as the word of God was speaking to him. Many people struggle to know God's will for their life, but never bother opening up the Bible to read it. And you wonder why you don't know what God's will is. So much of what we need to know and understand about God's will for us is found in reading and studying God's word. There are many times where the word of God will help set us straight because we're convinced that God was leading us to do one thing, to go somewhere, to say one thing, only to find out that the Bible clearly condemns that. Oh, wouldn't you know? I'm not supposed to be doing that. And I found out by reading. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that God never leads you to do something that is clearly condemned in his word. This is why reading and studying the word of God proves to be incredibly beneficial because it will bring clarity to our understanding of God's will. You're not going to know God's will apart from knowing God's word. God will also use people to help others determine what his will is for them. Look again at what it says in, in verses 10 through 12 here in Acts chapter 9. It says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. God used Ananias to reveal God's will to Paul. 
God may be using me in this very message today to speak to you, to help you tonight determine what God has, is doing in your life and what God has planned for you in this life. Church can often provide an excellent environment for us to find out the will of God. Because we're surrounded by other believers. We're in an environment where the word of God is brought forth. And it's a good place to have this cultivated. Just be sure that the person who's instructing you, though, who is encouraging, who, who is encouraging you and guiding you, is actually desiring to please the Lord. Don't ever take a preacher's word for it. I don't care who he is. I don't care how long he's been preaching. I don't care what Bible he's preaching from. Don't ever take his word for it. He is just as fallible as any other person. Be sure that who it is that is helping you is desiring to please the Lord himself. God confirmed that to Saul, that Ananias was coming to him from God. And God will confirm it to you as well. God also gives us his Holy Spirit to be our guide. Jump down again to verse number 17. It says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit leads us. He doesn't shove us. He doesn't push us. He's not kicking us from behind. He doesn't force us. He doesn't coerce us. He guides and he leads some people are compulsive and driven, but this doesn't necessarily mean that they're being led by the Holy Spirit. Being led by the Holy Spirit does not mean that we're acting on impulse. It means listening intently to how the Holy Spirit instructs. We're also guided by the wisdom of God. Notice what we see again in verse number 17. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, verses 20, 20 to 22. Acts chapter 9, 20 to 22. It says, And straightway, this is speaking of Saul, Paul, he preached Christ in the synagogues, and that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. These verses make it clear that there had been a supernatural change in this man as he was filled by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fills us, he brings the wisdom of God into our lives. And the wisdom of God is seeing life from God's perspective. The wisdom of God is having the mind of Christ and operating with the mindset that you belong to him and now you're living your life to please and to serve him. We're also guided by divine providence. Now so far as we looked at Saul's conversion and how the Lord had orchestrated all these events, everything seemed to be going great. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute, even kill Christians, to bring them bound to Jerusalem. And everything seemed to be going great as the Lord transformed his life. We just read in verses 20 to 22 how he's going into the synagogues. He's preaching Christ, the very one he was persecuting. Now he's preaching. Everything seems to be going great. He was a believer in Christ, received the Holy Spirit. He's preaching Jesus Christ in the synagogues. But when you get down to verse number 23, you find that he would run into a problem. Verse number 23 says, And after that, many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Here is an important lesson for us to learn. Paul was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. He was where he was supposed to be. Christ had called him to preach the gospel. Paul was doing what God had led him to do. He was preaching the name of Christ, and he was facing all sorts of problems for doing what he was supposed to do for being in the center of the will of God. Following and remaining in the will of God doesn't mean you are not going to have problems. 
God never said that the path for you in my will is going to be problem-free. Problems never take God by surprise, though, but are just God's means of further confirming to us that we are indeed in the center of his will because God always has a plan to either remove the problem, remove you from the situation, or help you overcome that problem. And notice what happened in verses 23 down through verse 25 here in Acts chapter 9. It says, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. All of this was orchestrated by God. How humbling it must have been for Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, to have to be lowered down a wall in a basket to escape people trying to kill him. This was the man once feared by everyone. Everyone, when they heard his name, they're trembling. They're backing up. They're thinking, not him. He's coming to our town. He's coming to our city. Let's run. Let's hide. They used to worship. The Jews used to worship the ground that he walked on. The unbelieving Jews, at least. They would move at his command. But now he is the one taking orders, not giving them out. He is the one being shown how God is providentially guiding throughout all of these endeavors. You may not always see it, but as you're walking in the will of God, there is a providential hand of God guiding you all the way. And at the end of the day, the simplest way to put it, if you sincerely desire to know the will of God for your life, you must know Jesus. Now, I don't mean that you need to be saved. That's the obvious prerequisite. But for believers to know what God's will is for you, you need to know Jesus. And that is all. Now we've discussed a number of different things here this evening, but the overarching theme of it all is Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, fall in love with your Savior. Fall in love with your Savior. Say to him with a sincere heart, as Saul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? God may do a number of different things to show you his will. But in the simplest terms, God's will for you is to be like his son, Jesus Christ. More than anything, God desires for you to be daily transformed into Jesus. God offers us his will for our own benefit. It is not something that we have to follow, but it will definitely be to our benefit if we do. If you understood how much God loves you, you would want to know what his will is for you. It has been said that the will of God will never take you, where the power of God and the grace of God cannot enable and keep you. God will not force his will upon you. He leaves the decision up to us. You will either live in the will of God or you will live outside the will of God. There's no gray area. There's no middle ground. There's no on the fence. You're free to make the decision, but understand that there are consequences for living in defiance to the will of God. The two questions that Saul asked that day are two questions that we must be asking if we ever expect to know God's will for our lives. Who art thou, Lord? And Lord, what will thou have me to do? When you can come to the Lord and ask these questions from a sincere heart, you're on your way to knowing God's will for your life. Would you bow with me in prayer?
Heavenly Father, we're thankful for, Lord, a, a clear understanding of how we can know your will. Lord, if we ever struggle to know what, what your plans are for us, I pray, Lord, that very first and foremost, we would run to your word. Lord, that we would understand that if we're ever going to know what we need to be doing, where we need to be going, what we need to be saying. Lord, the truth of the matter and all of the evidence, all of the information we need is going to be found in your word. And Lord, you are a rewarder of them that diligently seek you. And I pray that we're diligently seeking you out in your word. Help us, Lord, in all the areas in which we struggle to be desiring to live our lives with the picture and the mindset that we need to be living them in the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. May he be the one, may he be the, the measuring stick by which we hold everything else in our lives so that we can make sure that we're living lives that are pleasing in your sight, in the center of your will. In Christ's name we pray, amen.